0: Wagon everybody. Welcome to the Dis Afimi History podcast where we'll be speaking about history and as well family history and how history relates in terms of Caribbean people um, for the present as well as in the past and how in the past what that does and brings forth for what we are going through at present and what we can learn from our history, from our family, and take that moving forward. So I do hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you like it, please ensure to subscribe, like, and review. Thank you. In this episode, I speak with Assistant Professor of History, Dr. Dexter Gabriel, from the University of Connecticut, in regards to emancipation and the apprenticeship system. So let's have a listen. for coming on to the podcast and speaking about uh, emancipation and the apprenticeship system in the British Caribbean. And um, we'll start off with, you know, what were just the main objectives behind the implementation of the apprentice apprentice system after emancipation?
1: Yeah, thank you for having me, uh, for having this conversation. Um, So the apprenticeship system was put forth as this intermediary period to help both Free people, um, planters, and colonial society adjust to emancipation, right? Passed in 1833, going to be implemented in 1834. So it's sort of a a gradual emancipation scheme in some ways, right? This is where abolitionists uh, managed to get emancipation, but this gradualist uh, theme was put into it. In reality, however, that's how the apprenticeship system was was put forth and portrayed. Uh, and in some early history books, probably still say that. In reality, however, uh, the apprenticeship system came about because many British politicians feared that upon freedom, uh, formerly enslaved people would acquire would basically require coercion in order to work, yeah, or that they might flee their plantations. Right? It was a way to hold on to the labor um, that was still necessary and vital to these agrarian plantation-based societies, right? Um, That was what uh, formerly enslaved people had that planters wanted and that the empire wanted, their labor. Um, So (laughs) labor here is paramount. Uh, But as I also argue in my book, there were other factors. Um, Key among these was this racist fear of what freedom for Black people would mean. Uh, since the only other large-scale system of emancipating uh, people of African descent so far had been done in Saint-Domingue, Haiti, uh, which they had done by themselves. And so that fear of Haiti, that specter of Haiti, as one historian puts it, remained ever-present in many ways in their minds. And so there was this fear that freedom would make Uh, formerly enslaved people revert to barbarism or bring out their feared African qualities. So you see this a lot in the literature and discussions at the time. So you had all of these political cartoons and these incendiary visions of former slaves massacring white colonists, setting the colony ablaze. And there's just this notion that without white control or supervision, the colonies would simply fall apart, not just economically, but on a societal level. So The apprenticeship in many ways was part of this means to maintain the coercive as well as social control of slavery, right, Uh, to continue in a different form at least for a few more years.
0: Exactly. And, you know, just going on that theme in terms of uh, freedom, you know, with the apprenticeship system in the uh, British Caribbean, what were some of the limitations to the freedom of the formerly enslaved?
1: Well, when we think about the apprenticeship, the very notion of an apprenticeship, if people think of it, in some ways, the word can be almost banal if you are thinking it in a more, uh, in a banal fashion, the idea of apprentice. Mm -hmm. But if you think about an apprentice, someone who is under someone or so forth, right? an apprenticeship, it's immediately limiting just in the name, right? And the apprenticeship itself, as it was set up... um, could be administered with slight differences across the colonies. The Crown Colony allowed them to allowed each colony to set up. Um, pardon me, the Colonial Office allowed each colony to set up the apprenticeship system as they saw fit, with except for the with the exception of the Crown Colonies of like Trinidad and Guyana, where yeah. they set it up, um, and a few colonies, uh, Antigua, uh, Barbuda, Bahamas, for instance, um, basically uh, for uh, forwent the apprenticeship altogether for their own particular reason. But generally, overall, as an apprentice, um, free people were forced to labor most of the week for their owners and then allowed some brief time on the weekend, often Sunday, uh, to plant their own food, to see to their own needs. Uh, one historian described it as a bizarre relationship where for most of the week, the old, quote unquote, master and slave dynamic existed. And then for this brief period, uh, for maybe... Saturday and, and perhaps Sunday, uh, you, t- you went back to employer and employee, right? Yeah. <laughs> this bizarre system where the two were trying to work together, and of course, they, they cannot. Um, it talked about limitations. Um, apprentices could be hunted down and bought back if they fled, and fugitivity mm-hmm. went on during this period. In fact, you can go and look at newspapers during the apprenticeship system in uh, the British Caribbean. And the advertisements for fugitive apprenticeships pretty much look exactly, down to the letter, like the advertisements for uh, fugitive slaves, right? And so we see yeah. those same dynamics are there. Um, there were harsh punishments, including flogging, uh, being placed in uh, what were called workhouses. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, these were essentially forced labor camps yeah. um, and using torture devices like uh, the wheel or the treadmill. Uh, where people are forced to basically walk this large wheel um, as a form of punishment. Uh, And this thing could, of course, skin shins and break your legs and mangle the body. And so these are the type of things that are used to control free people during this period. right? And there was a court system uh, set up of magistrates uh, Mm -hmm. who were supposed to negotiate between the planters and free people. Uh, More often than not, however, these magistrates took the side of the planters uh, the planter elite and handed down often really brutal and uh, brutal um and draconian punishments um often based on whatever planters found convenient uh like there were cases I read of freed women being punished and sent to the workhouses uh, where they would likely be beaten and tortured for the crime of singing during their labor or talking back etc right and so, yeah when you talk about those limitations uh, the very n- the very notion of the apprenticeship system was to prevent was to place limits on free people right mm-hmm. to put boundaries on what emancipation would mean
0: Yeah, and it's it's very i mean it just goes to the fact that was there really a difference between the apprenticeship system and slavery because there must have been additional challenges being faced by individuals during this time as well
1: right right it's You know, if if there's a difference with the apprenticeship, uh, it was that enslaved people were now nominally free, right? Legally, they were no longer to be considered enslaved chattel persons. And so certainly that was important. And Certainly many of them understood there were now avenues of opportunity that were opened up by this door being opened up. Um, Apprentices could even be wage earners. Um, uh, You know, and so there are these ways that they were different. And Of course, the apprenticeship, depending on where it was set up, for instance, in most places, children uh, were not part of the apprenticeship system. Uh, You had a difference in the labor that was supposed to be done, performed by uh, field laborers and those who were considered artisans and uh, other laborers. Um, But in practice, those are the things that maybe on paper, those are the things that a few people through their own skill and luck might be able to earn their way to freedom or what have you. But in practice... The apprenticeship, as you said, remained a system more akin to slavery than not, is the best way to put it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes rules were changed a bit, but the apparatus of slavery, the the violence, the surveillance, yeah. the control, the essence of that remained. Um, an example, for instance, uh, there were often laws stating that when it came to the punishment of women, uh, they could no longer be flogged as during slavery, right? This so was something that yeah. apprentices that our abolitionists and anti-slavery folks had pushed very heavily for. And there's a great literature that's done on why this is the case and the notion of Black women's bodies, especially being used within abolitionist and anti-slavery discourse. This punishment, however, could still be meted out to men, uh, which it was, flogging could still be done. But words on paper, again, were different in practice. So some planters and authorities ignored the laws altogether and used flogging on women regardless. Uh, there was one and you never there was one story, for instance, of a of an overseer who decided how he would get around in flogging these young girls uh, was to place them onto the back of a man and then to flog him. And of course, hit them uh, mm-hmm. and therefore basically making a mockery of the law mm-hmm. right? of saying, I'll do as I wish. Um, so some just ignored it. Um, others just found other found more brutal ways to punish women. So, solitary confinement, extra labor, and most often being sent to these horrendous work labor camps and prisons uh, where women face floggings anyway. You couldn't flog them outside the labor camps, you just wanted to flog them within. Um, And they were forced to walk the treadmill. In fact, the treadmill in many ways, a lot of the discourse around it was planters and authorities trying to find a way to punish women specifically in ways that wasn't flogging. Um, and again, these treadmills, again, could break shins, mangle body parts. And women, of course, within these labor camps uh, faced a constant threat of physical and sexual abuse. And so, mm-hmm. you know, none of this was actually better than flogging in any way or mm-hmm. less than flogging. And so it's it's an interesting case. Again, when we talk about the challenges, how, uh, the control and the violence was still there, but they simply shifted and changed it depending on what they needed at the time. So, you know, it was like the apprenticeship found different ways to recreate some of the worst elements of slavery anew without calling it slavery.
0: Yeah, definitely. Just, you know, changing uh, the names, I guess, and the words being used for it. So, because I know you mentioned before in terms of the enslaved individuals, now knew that the apprenticeship system was coming into play, yeah. and you know what you know. Were there any organized movements or resistance against this um, system yeah. coming into coming into play?
1: Well, you know, from the very beginning, the apprenticeship was disliked by Black West Indians. Yeah. Um, as I always say, enslaved people in nearly every slave society have a wonderful grapevine. They pay attention to every bit of news, and so when news of the uh, Emancipation Bill, which they had been following and during debates like everyone else, when news of it came down and they heard of the apprenticeship, right? Uh, many balked at it immediately. Some fled their plantations uh, before emancipation, um, perhaps to escape the apprenticeship. There's this rash of fu- fugitivity that occurs. In fact, you can imagine you hear in 1833 in May, well, news reaches you, let's say by September that, uh, Slavery is about to be abolished, but you have to wait almost one year. Yeah. <laughs> you can imagine some people simply said, "I'm I'm not waiting. I'm I'm simply going to flee." And there was the added benefit, of course, of perhaps trying to escape this apprenticeship. Um, with the emancipation itself, almost immediately there were protests and labor strikes uh, in Trinidad. For instance, the apprentices, uh, the very day of emancipation, marched on the governor's house, basically saying they would not work. Uh, the allotted years that they were being told they had to. Um, You saw the same type of organized and sometimes spontaneous disruption throughout the tenure of the apprenticeship. Um, One magistrate in Jamaica, in fact, uh, complained that if it wasn't for the local police force um, forcing apprentices to stay on these plantations, he said they would abandon them altogether and the entire Mm -hmm. system would fall apart. So it just says something about how much coercion was needed to keep this system going, um, because people were resisting against it so often. Uh, Other apprentices understood the power of their voices. And so for instance, when British abolitionists and anti-slavery figures came seeking to find out how the apprenticeship was going, sometimes the apprentices uh, sought them out, (laughs) right? (laughs) Uh, And met with them to air their grievances. Understanding in many ways, these people can take this information back to England, right? And let people know what's going on. And in many ways, you know, the end of the apprenticeship, much as the end of slavery came about because of the interactions between these two, di- these two dynamics, right. Uh, mm-hmm. Anti-slavery and abolitionists uh, within the metropole itself and enslaved people. And in this case, free people and the colonies pushing and pressing and kind of working in concert together to see it come about. Right. And um, they're at the a vanguard for this and it's not, uh, you know, and it. It's, it's as, as horrible as the apprenticeship was, as terrible as it was, they were able to push back against it. It was ended yeah. four years early in 1838, right, uh, where it's basically seen as this is untenable.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it just goes to show in terms of, you know, those types of resistance and to yeah. make your voices being heard can have an impact. And yeah. so, you know, with the, you know, the British authorities and the plantation owners, like how would they respond to some of these resistance um, during this period?
1: You know, there are a lot of reactions. Uh, Probably some of my, that I find the most interesting were the governors and authorities, um, even from like before uh, emancipation even arrives, like days before, they're giving these speeches that they write up in papers that are meant for the apprentices. And they're explaining what, what what the apprenticeship is, what's meant for them, telling them to be on their best behavior. One of them, I believe, The governor of Jamaica even calls their former owners, their new friends, right? And you can imagine uh, enslaved people listening to this uh, and hearing all of this, but you hear them constantly imploring uh, this notion of be on your best behavior. You have to work that your labor is the key to your freedom and what you are now, you're now basically a subject of the empire and the queen has done this for you and you must show your um, gratitude, right? And so there's a lot of that. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> almost preemption and it continues throughout whenever uh there's a work strike or something happens you see them uh you, you'll you'll hear somebody come out with a speech often a governor or so forth uh telling people to be more grateful right and not engage in what's seen as this subversive behavior um so there's a lot of that um trying to make free people amenable to the apprenticeship, but. Mostly resistance was met with repression, right? Uh, The punishments, as I've talked about, being sent to labor camps, hauling resistors before magistrates. Um, More frustrated planters began seeking other forms of labor, uh, experimenting with uh, African labor. These were Africans liberated from slave ships who instead of being sent back to their home Mm -hmm. lands would somehow find themselves in these British colonies and be made uh, uh, laborers there. Um, of yeah. course, they will then try South Asian and Chinese labor. Uh, there's even a period I talk in my book where they try to entice free African Americans uh, mm-hmm. to come and and do this work. And so there there are a lot of different reactions <laughs> to this to this resistance, right? From repression to simply trying to find somebody else to meet their labor needs.
0: Uh, absolutely, just another form of control to to get what they extract, what they want, what want right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what did, uh, you know, with the religious institutions, such as the missionaries, because they were always there in this period, uh, what were they doing or assisting during this period? Were they advocating for any of these rights mm-hmm. for any of these individuals that are now? You know, it's,
1: it's complicated, as you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there were a few anti-slavery religious figures who spoke out against the more draconian approach aspects of the apprenticeship, much as they had done during slavery. I'm thinking, for instance, of the Baptist missionaries and others who uh, did this in places like Jamaica and were actually blamed for slave rebellions when they happened in Jamaica and elsewhere. So you always had those more radical voices. Um, But in the main, um, many religious institutions and missionaries had their own reasons to support the apprenticeship and often worked hand-in-hand hand with it, especially the more sanctioned churches like the Anglic- Anglican Church and others. Um, turning formerly enslaved people into moral, religious, and church-going folk was thought to work hand-in-hand hand with making them productive laborers and apprentices. So there, they, you know, the state in many ways um, saw benefit at times yeah. uh, with them, right, and tried to institute these, this notion that uh, to labor was moral, right, and if you got people into, into, quote unquote, stable marriages and uh, you had them going to church more often and doing all these things that are expected, that abolitionists had argued for, right? That this yes. would make them productive laborers. And again, this was something abolitionists had argued. <laughs> and so they were kind of in a bind here where they had they had basically said, look, this is what we think will happen, right? If you institute these moral things, you'll get more productive labor and more productive crops and so forth. Um, where there was there was sometimes tension was interesting over things like education yes. as planters were often less inclined to support schooling for apprentices or their children. They want them as laborers. They don't want anything that interrupts that. Mm-hmm. And so you have some missionaries very interested in building schools for religious and moral learning who run into roadblocks from recalcitrant planters who control much of the legislatures here and who want to see their laborers' energies directed solely towards plantation work, right? So you have yes. some cases where a missionary is writing the colonial office basically saying look we're trying to build schools and they're holding us up through bureaucracy in jamaica right they're telling us we need this paperwork and now we can't get the paperwork and so there is sometimes tension there even though there's also tension about what they're going to teach in these schools right there's a great tension between often what um free people want their children to learn and what the missionaries want to teach them which again has to do with being obedient, uh, moral thrift and all of that. And so there were these places of tension uh, between some missionaries uh, with aspects of the apprenticeship or aspects of the colonial government um, when they weren't work when they couldn't work in concert. Um, uh, but it would be probably going too far to say even these objected to the apprenticeship in, in any sustained focal or coordinated way.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, it's just that this particular time period is just, um, it's a very dynamic period, Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of changes that are happening. And whether it's, you know, the enslaved now being free, or, you know, owners, um, these plantation owners that are now their whole dynamic is now changing. As you mentioned before, they're making a lot of changes and trying to figure out what else can they Mm -hmm. be able to do to extract labor that is not going to cost per se. And I know for myself in terms of researching um, during this time period in my uh, family line where they were free people of color who did own um, slaves, but as well, they were on the fringes, just what you're talking about in terms of... enabling or having people that were enslaved to be able to to read to kind of understand and it's just it it has a, I guess you can say a different aspect and you kind of look at things differently because this is not the type of um, narrative that's being told in terms of this particular period it's just that they were free and it's a wonderful time and not quite so in yeah. terms of it being a you know a wonderful time or an even yeah, time right. at that way or not even to say even balanced either right so it's just a, a very different different time frame period and um you know the only other thing i would ask is you know just you know as we close out and someone is researching during this time frame period what type of advice would you provide someone in terms of you know the information that they come across because it can be you know a bit overwhelming
1: <laughs> yeah it can be and i think you're right i think unfortunately i think the narrative so often um and you see it in many societies that post-emancipation there's such a focus on emancipation happening that people speak of the post-emancipation in almost generalities well slavery's yeah. over now but often the post-emancipation whether in the united states whether it's in the british colonies can be fraught with all of these different complications um and I think the apprenticeship is one of those, especially I can imagine to the British national narrative of bringing about the end of slavery, the apprenticeship is kind of a a road bump. It's problematic to the the regular narrative. And so, you know, for me, one of the hardest parts of researching this period was actually, as you said, it's a lot of information and it was in trying to get the voices of free people. Um, What we have most are parliamentary records of magistrates, the colonial office, and colonial legislators and missionaries and not the actual apprentices themselves, not the free people. Um, But, you know, the Caribbean historian, Woodville K. Marshall, he pointed out, we can, he pointed out, you know, it's, it's hard to get into voices of free people during emancipation, knowing what they thought. But he said, we can try to understand these often voiceless people by looking at their actions. Um, And that's where the information comes about, even if it's coming from the colonial office and the legislatures and the missionaries, Uh, because when the missionaries complain uh, that the formerly enslaved are, you know, not coming to their church anymore because they've told them to be good apprentices to remain on their their plantations. I think this tells you something, right? And you can extrapolate from that. And so I think um, looking at, again, Looking at these actions of these voiceless people is very helpful. And so looking at the resistance, the strike, the fugitivity, I would advise anyone looking at this period to try and find new ways to include those apprentice voices and actions in their research. Because at the end of the day, it's this is their story that's often left out.
0: Absolutely, it is. And, uh, you know, as I said, it's just uh, the records itself tell the story as well as to what yeah. you can and cannot find. But right. it is there. Um, And it's just looking at those different um, aspects. But again, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and speaking on this uh, large topic and uh, at least being able to provide some context to, you know, what researchers are kind of looking at when they're looking at these type of records.
1: Thank you very much. It was a great conversation.
0: Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did, please make sure to like, follow, subscribe and write a review for the episode wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you.